Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 John in chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and I want to kind of title this a little bit. It's kind of hard to know how to title sermons. Why Christ was against Lordship Salvation. Jesus Christ is against anyone making him the Lord and Master to go to heaven. When you're talking about you have to serve him to go to heaven, he doesn't want no part of it. And he says so. But there are people who believe that you must make Christ the Lord and the master of your life, that you have to serve in order to go to heaven. And they don't understand. That's like slapping him in the face. That what he did on the cross was not sufficient. It wasn't enough. That they've got to help him out. And so it burns me when I hear people say it. Because I believe that salvation is totally, 100%. By grace and grace alone. Here in the book of First John in chapter 4, I want to share a few thoughts with you. And I hope that you can follow my logic, my thinking. Because I know I go from one scripture to the next and then to the next. But believe it or not, there is a theme that runs through all of it. You have to listen to everything that I'm saying to be able to follow it. I want you to know that I do believe that after, after a man is saved... He should love the Lord with all his heart. And if you love the Lord with all your heart, you can live like you please. Now, you can live like you please if you don't love him. But God has told us that he would richly bless you and reward you if you would love him. But nobody can make you do that. That's a choice of your own. Just like getting saved, nobody could do that for you either. That was a personal thing. You had to do that yourself. But here in 1 John in chapter 4, Look in verse 1. In verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, and try the spirits. So how are you going to try a spirit? You put them up on a, a stand and you get somebody to, to prosecute them? Or, what, what, how do you do that? Well, you try the spirits. See, there's various spirits in the world. False messages. Messages that are false. And they don't come from God. And there's... A guy named Satan. And Satan is uh, an angel, but a fallen angel. And Satan has his own ministers that preach his message. And you see, he is not going to tell you the truth. It will be so close to the truth that you can't tell the difference. It's just like with counterfeit money. They try to make it look so real. And Satan is good at this. And you can listen to people on radio and television in various churches, and it sounds like the same thing. It's just it's not the same thing. You know, rat poison is 99% cornmeal. There's nothing wrong with cornmeal. It's that 1% arsenic that does you in. Oh, the rat. Hope you're not eating rat poison. But here he makes a statement, try the spirits. In other words, try the message. Does the message that they preach line up with what the Lord says? Compare. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Not so much preacher with preacher, but Scripture with Scripture. And it says, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. See, false prophets have a false message. A false message 
produces fruit. And when the Bible talks about you shall know them by their fruit, he's talking about the false prophet who teaches a false message, and the false message produce fruit. People who will tell you, this is what I believe. But you check what they are saying with what the Word of God says to know whether or not, is that good fruit or is that bad fruit? Is the message that they're preaching the same? And he makes a statement here in verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, when he talks about confessing Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it means that he is God who came into the world, took upon flesh, and that he did something by doing so. Because you go from this verse 2, and you look there where it says in verse 10, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. His Son, Christ, was manifested in the flesh, came into the world to be a propitiation for our sins, a payment for our sins. So the ones who are telling the truth are those who believe that Jesus Christ paid for my sins. See, if I really believe He paid for my sins, all of my sins, then I have a payment for all of my sins. So I am not at any time trying to earn my way to heaven by the good things that I do because I have a payment for all of my sins. There is no sin to condemn me to hell because I accepted that payment he made. So therefore, he gets all the credit, honor, and the glory for me going to heaven. So he says there, if a man would believe it, but he says there's some people that don't teach that. Oh, Christ came into the world. They can believe that. They can even tell you that he died on the cross. But it's not that he paid for all of your sins and that only thing you have to do is to accept that and you have eternal life. They want to add something to it. Yeah, you got to believe, but, but, and then they butt it all over the place. So there is a difference. The Word of God tells us to discern the difference. And you cannot discern error if you do not know the truth. Now look in 1 John in chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, you'll notice there in verse 1. There's two things I believe that are answered here in these first five verses is, one, who is a child of God? How are you born as an individual? How do you know you're a child of God? And we're supposed to love the children of God. Okay, well, how do you know who's a child of God? So people say, well, you have to look at their life to tell who's a child of God. Because it says especially to those who are of a household of faith. Okay, well, how do we know they are? I'm going to watch you to see if you're a real child of God. No, it says this. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So he says that to believe that Jesus is the Christ, in this context, Jesus is the Christ. The one that God sent to be the payment, the propitiation for our sins. When you believe he did it for you. You're born into God's family. You became a child of God by faith alone. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. And then he makes a statement, and this is a separate thought. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Okay. Does that mean automatically everybody who's saved loves everybody else? No, it didn't say that. It says there in the first part of the verse, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, once you're born of God, you're born of God. Once you're born of God, you have eternal life. 
And once you have eternal life and all of your sins are paid, there's no going back. It can't be undone. So now you are born of God. Then he makes this statement. And everyone that loveth him, that begat, loves those that are begotten of him. You see, you can be saved, be born of God, and not love God. But those who do love God, he says, love one another. Wouldn't it be neat if all of God's children really loved one another? It means you will not do wrong to one another. And yet, have you ever seen Christian husbands and wives and children? They know the Lord, but do they all love one another? Is it always demonstrated? No, but can you be saved, be born of God, and not love one another? That's why he says up there in verse 19 of the previous chapter, we love him because he first loved us. Now, we can love him because he loved us, but not everyone abides in his love. Look there in chapter 2 of First John, and look what he says in verse 15. Love, and he's talking to God's children. He's talking to those who know it, that have been born of God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the love of the Father is not in him. So as a Christian, it wouldn't tell us not to love the things of the world if we couldn't. So it means that we can. We can love the wrong things. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You can love the things of this world. But God says, if you do love the things of this world, He says here, the love of the Father is not in Him. So you see, that means you don't love the Father, but you love the things of the world. So can a person be born of God and not love Him? Yes. Can you be married and not love your husband? It's kind of like when you trust Christ as your Savior, He gives you as a free gift everlasting life. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. You believe? Yes. Do you have everlasting life? Well, I don't know. He that believeth hath everlasting life. Do you believe it? Yes, I do. Do you have everlasting life? Well, I don't know. Are you married? Yes. Do you have a wife? I don't know. So you can... Be saved and not love the Lord. Otherwise, he would not. If it was automatic, then he would never tell us, love one another. Because it would be automatic. We don't automatically love everybody. We don't automatically love God. Because if you did, you'd automatically serve him and do whatever he wants. That's why he says, if you love me, if you love me. Because that means that sometimes we, we don't love him. So he talks about the love of God dwelling within us and abiding in his love. Those are choices that we make. Now go back there to chapter 5. And notice what he says. In the last part of that verse where he says, And everyone that loveth him that begat, that caused me to be born into his family, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So if I do love God, if I love God, then I have to love one another. And that's why he says up in verse 20 of chapter 4. Look at this verse. In verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, what is he? So it is possible 
because it's written to believers, to hate somebody and not love God. But if you say you love God, but you hate God's children, then God says you're a liar. I'd like to soften that and say it a sweeter way. I don't know how to do it. And that's the way God said it. So he says, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So you can be a child of God and not love God. But if he says, if you do love me, love one another. Because the only way that I can show God that I love him is by loving those that he told me to love. Lord, I love you. Obey me. I will not. See the contradiction? So it's hypocritical to say, I love the Lord and not, not walk in love. Now look at the next thing. In verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. So if you love God, then you can love the children of God. And the way you prove that you love God is by loving God's children. How are we doing? In verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth. So in verse 4, whatsoever is born of God, in verse 5, is those that believe. So those that believe... You have overcome the world because you were in Christ. See, when I was born into this world, I didn't do a very good job overcoming anything. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, what I wanted to do and be. No. Pride, I didn't overcome anything. Failure, 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 written all across Yankee. But Christ was born, and he never sinned. He overcame the temptations of the devil, everything in the world, nothing could control him. He overcame the world. And God took his victory and gave it to me as though I had lived my whole life and never sinned. He put his perfection, his righteousness to my account, and I have overcome. Now, if he can do that, can I overcome in my Christian life the temptation not to love one another as I ought to? Can you do it? This is why these scriptures are so important. Now, I want you to take your Bible and look there again in 1 John in chapter 2. 1 John in chapter 2. So once you're born into God's family, you can be saved and not love God. But is it the will of God for you to love him? Does God want you to love him? Huh? Can I hear anything? Yes. God wants you to love him. But you may not love him. And so that's why it's so hard for some people to be faithful to the Lord. Because you don't love him. It's hard for a man to be faithful to a wife when he doesn't love her. It's hard for a wife to be faithful to a husband when she don't love him. It's hard to do right. When love is gone, and it can happen to any Christian at any given time. But wouldn't it be a shame for that to happen between you and the Lord when the Lord does love you? And he is faithful. And he'll never cast you out, never lose you, never unborn you. 
He loves you with an everlasting love. And here we are as a child of God being unfaithful to someone who really, 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 truly loves me. You know, there's a thing in God's word about we reap what we sow. If you don't love God the way you ought to, did you know you're going to have somebody else not love you the way they ought to? It's a, God lets us sometimes experience what we're going through because it helps us to understand just a little bit about what he's going through. Do you realize there's no one who wants to be loved more than God? God's the one to develop this idea. He made a man and a woman, put him in the garden because he wanted an object to love. And he wanted to be loved. So he showed his love the greatest way he could. Gave his son. And then we don't respond to his love. That's why people come and go in our lives. Kids come and go in our lives. The Lord's always there. Never leave your first love. The greatest love of all. Here in 1 John in chapter 2, I want you to see this down in verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Isn't that clear? You could read that a hundred times and probably not understand it any more than you did just that one time. I studied that for a long time trying to, what did he say? But see here in verse 19, he's talking about there's people that are false teachers. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not all of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. See, not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody believes the same thing. So take your Bible and turn there to the book of Acts in chapter 15. The book of Acts in chapter 15. This scripture is very important because it answers this question. Who are they talking about there in John chapter 2? And here's what I believe he's referring to. There were the time when they had a, you know, a, a big board meeting of all the head honchos. They all came together in Jerusalem and believed that James was the pastor of the church. But they came together and Peter was there, Paul was there. And so they all got together. And, and this was the conclusion of what one of them said in verse 24. For as much as we have heard. Certain went out from us. They went out from us. Have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So there were some that gave the impression they were of us, but they were not of us. But that it might be made manifest that they were not of us, they went out from us. Because they have a different message and we don't agree with what they're teaching. What were they teaching that was so bad? They were false teachers. They were teaching things that were not true and subverting the people that listened to them. So he says there in chapter 15, look in verse 1. You see, it can, comes down to two different things. One, what they had to do to be saved. 
and what they had to do to stay saved. There's a lot of those today. You see, these were some people who believed and you had to make the Word of God, the Word, God, the Lord of your life. You had to commit yourself to an act of being circumcised. And then you had to commit yourself to obeying the law. In verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were teaching something that was not true. Jesus was against this teaching. Paul was against this teaching. And the reason is because it can't save. The law never saved anybody. Why try to put a yoke of iron upon the necks of individuals requiring them to meet a standard nobody ever has except Christ. Christ is the only one who ever kept the law. Now look in verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. That believed. Now see, these were some that believed. It didn't say that about the other part there. But now look at it in verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sects of the Pharisees which believed, saying, It was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. So later on, John is letting them know there were some that say they was among us, and they left us and gave the impression that they were of us, but they were not of us. You see, there's a lot of people who have taken upon themselves the mantle, I am a preacher. I am the man of God. We see, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, there's just a multitude of churches. There can be buildings and there can be people gathered in those buildings. But if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior and Him alone, you're not Saved, you're not a child of God. You're not born again. A church is only made up of individuals that are born again believers. There is no other kind. So without believers in Christ, in Christ alone, by grace alone, it can't be a church. The Catholic Church is not a church. Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not a church. Seventh-day Adventists, it's not a church. They're stealing from the Word of God, but they're not official. They don't believe the message that Christ gave or the Apostle Paul preached or what's in the pages of this book. It's not the gospel. And I don't recognize them as such because God doesn't. That's just my humble opinion. Now, when it made the statement here that they all got together to consider this matter, is there more than just believing on Christ? Is there something else than just trusting the Lord to go to heaven? Does a man have to do something else? Is there anything else required? And you'd be surprised how many people believe, yes, there is. And so the word of God, that is my proof. This is my evidence. I use the word of God as the evidence to prove to me I'm saved. I'm going to heaven when I die. To me, this is all the evidence I need. It was good 53 and a half years ago. 
and nothing has changed since then. I can't change the evidence that's right here in this book. But there are sometimes people believe there's more evidence, the evidences that are in your life. So then if you know that you're saved because of the evidence of how you're living, well then, because of this new evidence, you put confidence in that evidence. And this evidence of how you're living will override the evidence in this book. Now people will know that I'm really saved, and if I don't live right, the evidence says I'm not really saved, and it overrides what the Word of God says. That's heresy. That's heresy. Now, you'll notice in verse 7, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and he said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and do what? That's all they had to do. You see, what they were saying is you have to do more. You've got to have to live another way. When he talks about putting them under the law means you've got to make the word or the law, you've got to make it the Lord of your life. There's something else involved. There isn't anything else involved. I know that I'm saved because the Word of God says that if I believe on Christ and I trust Him as my Savior, I'm born of God and I have eternal life and that I'm going to heaven. Do I want every one of God's children to serve the Lord? Yes, I do. But I don't want anyone to ever get the idea that because you serve God, that's the proof you're saved. That is not proof. That's evidence that can change tomorrow. And you may live wicked tomorrow. And then that new evidence will change whether or not you believe you're saved. You ought to believe that you're saved because the Word of God says I am if I trust Him. And the Word of God has not changed and I know that I'm saved. And it'll never be altered. Now look what he says here in verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke of iron upon the neck of the disciples, which simply means trying to make them make Christ the Lord and the master of their life to prove that they're saved. That's what people are doing today. And that's what they're teaching. It's on your radio, that heresy. And that's exactly what it is. It's not the truth. It's not the word of God. Their gospel is not my gospel. It's not our gospel. It's not the gospel of this book. That is not good news. That's bad news. It's bad news when you have to try to prove you're saved because of your life. That evidence that you want to use will be evidence used against you. I know that I'm saved because I'm saved by grace. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I've never deserved to go to heaven. I don't deserve to go to heaven today. Had it not been for Jesus Christ... God in the flesh who came into this world and made a payment for my sins, I would not be going to heaven. Do I serve the Lord with all my heart? Do I love Him? Yes, I do. But that's not what's getting me to heaven, and that's not the proof that I'm saved. I was just as saved before I loved Him. And before I ever started serving the Lord, I was just as saved. So once you trust Christ as Savior, you're His child. You're His child forever. But I want you to see this. In verse 10, now... Therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke 
upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe, verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. The Jews and the Gentiles are saved exactly the same way, by faith alone in what Christ did. And yet there will be false teachers that will come along that want to add to that and get people's assurance, not on what the Word says, but on how they live. And that's the evidence that's wrong. Take your Bible and turn with me over there to the book of Matthew chapter 7. And you'll find that there's, there were some people that actually made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. They made Jesus the Lord of their life and went to hell. So they evidently they knew him, knew about him, had to. And they did many wonderful works. He was the Lord of their life. So what did Jesus think about those who believed in lordship salvation? He doesn't want you to make him the Lord of your life to be saved. He wants you to accept him as your savior. You need a savior. You can't live good enough to save yourself. You need a savior. So he says here in Matthew in chapter 7, look in verse 15, as we follow this little train of thought. He says, beware of false prophets. Now, what's so bad about a false prophet? Well, he has a false message. Well, what's so wrong with a false message? Well, people might believe it. But what if people do believe it? It might determine their eternal destination. It might mean hell. Now, is it important? Is it important what preachers tell people about how to go to heaven? Did you know I'm going to have to account to God for what I tell people? When I say God said, God said, it better be God said it. Because if God didn't say it, woe unto me. But look what he says. Verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look so harmless. They look just like a sheep. <laughs> but they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Why do they put on sheep's clothing? They receive. You think they're, they're real. They're genuine. Listen, there's a, a multitude of preachers in this old world that can preach circles around me. Use the word of God. Maybe even know it better. But I don't believe there's a preacher out there anywhere that's got a better gospel message than what I've got. I believe that what I'm telling you on how to go to heaven is the truth. It is the gospel. But he makes this statement here in verse 16. You shall know them by their fruit. This is where this verse belongs. You shall know them by their fruit. So they must have some fruit. And the fruit is those that believe them. The false teachers. The false teacher got a false message, but he got a false message from the spirits. When he says in John chapter 4, 1 John 4, try the spirits. Listen to what people are saying. Now, does that agree with what the word of God says? And you can't discern the error if you don't know the truth. When God said it is by grace, that means grace. And I should base my eternal destination upon that I received a free gift. Period. Based upon what Christ did for me and what he said to me. 
He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I have everlasting life. How do I know? God said so. What proof do I need better than that? Isn't what God says good enough? Isn't what the Word of God says good enough? That I have to set all of that aside and say, well, the way I live my life overrides this. And now I know I'm saved. That's heresy. That is a shame and a disgrace. And look what he says here. You shall know them by their fruits. Look in verse 21. This is what their fruit said. Their fruit says, not everyone, as Christ is talking here, he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to accept, they say, you've got to accept Christ as the Lord of your life. Well, they did. They did. And notice that whenever they talk, it's about how they lived for the Lord. What they did for the Lord. And it says, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What was his will? What did he say that I must do to go to heaven? Well, that's a different issue. So when you read over there in the Gospel of John, he makes a statement, this is the will of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. What does God want me to do to go to heaven? To believe on him whom he hath sent. Well, this is the one that came in the flesh. This was the Christ. The one that was going to be the propitiation for my sin, the payment for my sins. So when I say, would you accept the payment Christ made for you? The payment is Christ. Christ was my payment. Notice what he says here. In verse 22, many will say to me in that day, many. Now he uses an illustration, verse 13 and 14, about Many and few, broad and narrow. But many, it looks like there's going to be an awful lot of people who have determined that they're going to save themselves or prove that they're saved by how they live. They put their confidence in their works and what they have done. And by doing so, they're placing themselves in this category. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? They did it for him. And in thy name, they did it for him, cast out devils. And in thy name, for his honor and glory for him, done many wonderful works. So there is your evidence of salvation. So if they have this evidence, this is how they ought to know they're saved. He's the Lord of their life, and they had the evidence to prove it. But they forgot something. It's not in their eyes that determines it. It's in God's eyes. My works, good works, going to church and doing the you know, good deeds and giving money and praying, all these good deeds. If it couldn't get me saved, why would I want to use that as evidence to prove that I am saved? Aren't all those things that we can do the same thing that a lost man can do? Can't a lost man go to church? Can a lost man clean up his life? Can a lost man read the Bible? Can a lost man pray? Can a lost man do everything we can do? Is that evidence that he must be saved? And he doesn't know it. Could you walk into this church today in a three-piece suit and sit here and sing the same songs we sing? It must be a sign you're saved. Say, I'm an atheist. So it doesn't prove anything. 
If you love the Lord, yeah, I believe you ought to live like you love Him. But you can't use that as the evidence that you're saved. I know that I'm saved because of what the Word says. But now notice what He said to those who had made Him the Lord or the Master of their life. And they said, we have done many wonderful works. And this was the evidence to these people who listened to false teachers. This is how we know. You know how I know I'm saved? Has nothing to do with anything that I've done for 53 years. Or I should say for 71 years. It was all because one night in a low living room, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I trusted Him. Trusted Him. I was saved then, and that's why I'm still saved. And a hundred years from now, that's why I will still be saved. And nothing before, after, nothing else could ever change that. You say, well, what happens if you go out of here and you just live like the devil? Well, if I still got to heaven, it'd be grace, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It'd still be grace. You say, well, you don't deserve that. I didn't deserve to be saved either. When do I deserve it? I never have and never will. That's why he gets all the honor and all the glory. Am I against people living right? No. Am I against you having Christ as the master of your life? No. Only if you use that to prove you're saved. Because whenever he's not the Lord and the master of your life, you have every reason to doubt you're saved. You better rest upon what Christ did, not upon what you do. And then in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity. It's to those people who have made Christ the Lord and the master of their life, but never trust him as their savior. You see, when I want to find out if somebody's really saved or not, I don't ask them how you're living. There could be a drunk laying in the gutter, like I've said before. Drunk laying in the gutter. And a, a man comes to church in a three-piece suit. Okay, I got this man standing here, and he's clean, got his Bible under his arm, and he got a three-piece suit on, looks sharp, good clean haircut, and there's a man drunk laying in the gutter. Which one should I believe is really saved? I don't know either one of them. I have to find out what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? If I ask that old drunk laying in the gutter, what are you dependent upon to go to heaven? He says, I trust Christ as my Savior and Him alone. I believe He died for my sins. And I ask this man in a three-piece suit. He says, I, I go to church every day and I live a good, clean life and I pay my bills and I love my wife and my kids. I'm sorry. I'll trust that man is saved and not that man in a three-piece suit. There is no reason I should believe this man is saved unless I hear him say, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Christ died for my sins. And how he lives, and that man in the gutter, or this man that goes to church, he is as lost as a hound dog on the end of a soup bone. I could say there's a saved man, but a rebellious man, a disobedient child of God. And God's going to have to chasten him. It looks like a pretty good job. And this man may be living as clean as he possibly can. And when he dies, Christ says, depart from me. I never knew you. See, you're saved only because you trusted him as your savior. That's the best news in the world. That's what makes it good news. And that's why, just like the uh, 
apostles, they didn't want to put a yoke of iron upon the necks of the people that believed the gospel and that were saved and now putting this yoke upon their necks to weigh them down. Now you've got to do this. But there's people doing exactly the same thing today. They're just putting the yoke of iron up. You've got to go to church and you've got to give money and you've got to pray and you've got to do this and clean up your life and stop these sins. And This law is no different from the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it's just as bad, just as wicked. And yet there's people who have no clue. They see nothing wrong. The thing that will hurt me deeply is if there's a bunch of you people that come here week after week and you don't get it. And you don't see what I'm talking about. I hope that you do. I hope you really understand what I'm saying. It's a heaven and hell issue. It affects the gospel, the good news that you tell other people. I want anybody that watches by internet or hears it on the radio. I know how to go to heaven because I finally heard a clear gospel presentation. Let me show you what it is, in case you've never seen this before. You'll notice I had to get a bigger wallet. I've got where I know y'all real good now, and I had to get some more sin. <laughs> just joking, just joking. This hand represents you and me. And the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. He loves us. But to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. And God says that everybody sins. So everybody's condemned. And so God says that to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. Because there's no sin in heaven. And none of us qualify. And because of this sin, see, we, can't, we can't get in. And God says, your good works doesn't pay for sin. You can do all kind of good works, but it won't pay for the sin. So this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. See, he lived a perfect, righteous life. I didn't. Oh, you're over here. In case you didn't know where, where you are, you're, you're over here with me. You understand? You're over here with me. You're not over here with him. You're over here with me. Christ was perfect. He came into this world. He did not have to die. But to show how much he loved his father, he was willing to do something that his father wanted. He sent his son to be the sacrifice for all of our sin. Instead of us going to hell, he sent his son to take all of our sins and nail them to his cross. And he paid for them and came back from the dead and said that if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what he did. I'm not going to heaven upon what I've done. And it's a shame and a disgrace for somebody to want to add to what he's done for us. I know that I'm saved. I don't want there and there cannot be any other evidence that I need except this evidence right here. This is the proof. It's all the proof that anybody needs. It's what he did. It's what he said. And therefore, I know I have eternal life. And I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And it's all because of what Christ did for me. No, I don't have to love him to go to heaven, but I sure do. How many would say right now, not only have you trusted Christ as your Savior, but could you say, I love the Lord? Let me see your hand. All right, put it down. Now, nobody can make you love him. 
But if you say, I love him, you can't show that you love him without serving him, without loving one another. That's why it's so important. If you're watching by internet or here in the auditorium, understand this. God loves you. Christ paid for your sins. All you have to do to go to heaven, all, is where you believe he did that for you. I was talking to a lady this morning at a restaurant. Betty got conversation going, and she turns it over to me. And next thing you know, I talked to her and explained it to her, and she's standing there with tears in her eyes. And she understands. She says, yes, I know. I believe it. And so it didn't take long, but just to explain it to her. So easy, so simple. Because we have a message that we can share with anybody, anytime. The gospel is so such good news. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never done it, maybe you have made Christ the Lord and the Master of your life and you want to serve Him with all your heart, well, I commend you for that, but don't trust that to get you to heaven. I'm not against people going to church and living right and loving your family and all that. Those are good things to do, but don't trust that to get you to heaven. You can only go to heaven by accepting Christ as your Savior, believing He died and paid for your sins. And the Lord says, if you'll believe, He did it for you. He said He'll never cast you out and never lose you. And you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. So in the quietness of this moment, with heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around, will you trust Christ as a Savior? And if you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And said, Preacher, that made sense to me. And I want to know I'm going to heaven. And right now, I trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Yes, God bless you, man. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Just very quickly, just slip it up. Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? If you trust Christ right now, He saves you right now and gives you everlasting life. If you trust Him right now, He gives you eternal life. You never have to do it again. Why? Because He can't give you eternal life twice. He'll never cast you out, never lose you. That's how you can know that you're going to heaven. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? So yes, that made sense to me. I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. Our Father, we thank you so much for the free gift of everlasting life. And help us, Lord, as Paul said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Bless each one, especially these that in understood and put their confidence, their trust in you, that they become your child born of God, and you'll never cast them out and never lose them. Thank you for this church and what it stands for. For those that watch by internet, help us to be a blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.